Speaking of being in big trouble, there was a pastor that was going to marry a young couple. And pastors have a bad tendency to do this. They, you know, catch people at the last moment, ask them to do something, and don't let them get prepared because normally you only see somebody once every few days. So he walked up to this guy at a wedding and he said, let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to read some scripture at your best man's wedding? He said, sure, I'd be glad to. He said, I want you to read 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And he said, okay. Well, the pastor knew that it said, perfect love casts out fear. Well, the guy had no clue about the Bible, so he just went and he opened up the index and he came to the first John. But the problem was, it was the gospel of John, not first John. And so when he opened it up to chapter 4, Verse 18, what he was asked, he stood up at the wedding, and this is what he read. He read, uh, well, I, You are right in saying that I have no husband, for you have had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. Uh, so a good idea as pastors is always print out the verse that you want the person to read. Now today we're going to talk about burden bearing, and obviously this couple had a burden, didn't they? And as we gather together as a church, sometimes we do have burdens and we feel like we're the only one who has them. I will promise you if I could go around the room and you could start right here with me and we were to sit down and talk about our life, there would be lots of burdens that we could share, some that we could get rid of when we talk to other people, and some that we just need somebody to walk beside us and help us shoulder the load. And one of the advantages of being connected with one another is you actually get to know the other person, and then you realize that you go through life and you're not alone. Other people share the same struggles and the same problems you do, and sometimes just being in that midst and that company is a wonderful, wonderful privilege. This morning, as we talk about connecting with one another, here's our one another wheel 20 to 30, some one another's love, encourage, and so forth. I could have picked any one of these and talked about connecting. But this morning I'm going to pick one specifically, and that is the burden bearing. And when we connect with each other, there's something that happens when we join in a group, and that is we get this intense, intimate knowledge of one another's lives where we can be real with each other, we can share with one another what our problems are, and we can help the other person get through their struggle. So there are many advantages connecting and groups and so forth. We're going to talk about that. But here are just a few reasons why groups are helpful. And by the way, we have some here. If you go to your church center app, y'all want me to plug my phone in? Go to the app, go to the bottom where it says groups, Click on Trinity Community Church. I added three articles there this week under the Resources tab. So when you click on the church, you go up to the top, scroll over to Resources, and click on it. I put a list of every ministry that we have available, every group in our church that starts on Sundays and goes all the way through till Saturday night. And we have a whole host of groups that meet during the week, different times. They range from prayer to all kinds of different groups. And you can get involved in those. We have listed the leader's name, their contact information. So if you want involvement and you want connection, then it's available for you. 
Now, sometimes we do try to hunt you down and say, hey, are you in a group? Would you like to get in this group? But obviously, we can't make you do that. We know that there's a great advantage if you're connected. But here are some of the reasons why you should consider connecting with a group. First of all, small groups foster closer relationships than a large group. Some of y'all will listen to a sermon and go, hurry, you're taking way too long, we've got to go. You'll go right out the door and leave and nobody even knows who you are, what's happening in your life, what's going on this week, how we can pray for you or anything else about you. You're gone. But in a small group, when you're sitting down with eight, nine people, people are going to begin to ask, how are you? How's your family? How's your job? How's your health? What's going on in life? You're going to talk. Second, small groups provide a comfortable introduction for people who are maybe not as strong in their faith as others. In other words, when you're in a connect group like that, you can sit down and talk. And if you don't know where 1 John is at, nobody's going to make fun of you. Okay? Maybe they'll actually help you find it or turn to it. Also, small groups provide an ideal way to care for the needs of people within the group. Sometimes when you have a church of 180, 200 people, it's impossible for one or two people to know every detail about someone's life. But when you're in a smaller group and you share a need, that small group comes along and helps meet your need. They may cook for you, they may keep your dog for you, they may pray with you. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways that we meet each other's needs. Small groups also provide a way for Christians to live out their faith. One of the neatest ideas that groups do is they decide to do a community involvement or something to help their neighborhood. One particular group, not in our church that I remember, but one particular group in another church decided they wanted to make a difference on their neighborhood. You know what they did? One week a month when they met, they got trash bags for everybody in their group and they walked around their neighborhood and picked up the trash out of the ditches. And the neighbors began to see these believers out there picking up garbage on the side of the road and they thought, wow, what are they doing? They went out and asked them. They said, we're picking up trash. We want to clean our neighborhood up. And they said, well, can I get involved in your group? Sure you can. They came over and started praying. The next thing you know, they found a new life in Jesus Christ through a trash bag. Little acts of service. And this is how we live out our faith in, in groups. Groups also provide a comfortable atmosphere for openness where you can be you. For mutual, mutual edification. What does that mean? It, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, or you pick up trash. You can all connect because the, the message in the group is relatable and people can understand it and it's real. They encourage each other. They provide a source of accountability. And they also cultivate leadership within a church. When you step out and you're willing to lead a group or you're willing to pray or to read, you become a leader in your church. So there are all kinds of advantages to connecting. And I want to pound, 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 pound. Can I give you all a quiz? Pound, belong, connect, serve, give, go. These are the minimal requirements of a person who is exhibiting health and discipleship in their life. These five, these five actions have to be real in your life in order to be a healthy, growing believer, okay? This is what we are pounding, pounding, pounding on. What are they? Belong, connect, serve, give, go. Okay, 
You say, good, go. All right, here I go. Connect groups. Life is better when you connect. Jesus, when he left and the night before he was betrayed, don't turn here because this is not my text, but the passage I'm going to use quotes this. The night before he was crucified, he gathered his disciples together and he had them all gathered around. He washed their feet and then he gives them a new commandment. Now, how many commandments were there in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20? Go ahead and say 10. 10 commandments, all right? And somebody once asked Jesus, of those 10 commandments, which is the greatest? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, okay? And love your neighbor as yourself. So he took commandments 1 through 4, uh, no God before me, no idols, and so forth. He took those four, summarized them, love God with all your heart, and then he took uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten and summarized them, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, don't steal, don't covet, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't, you know, and those. So love God, love others. He broke them down and then he explained them. And somebody said, which is the greatest? You know, so now, Jesus comes on the scene and says, I have come to do away with the law. By the way, did you all know that when Jesus died on the cross, he abolished the law? So you're not under the Ten Commandments anymore. They are a wonderful principle for him, but your righteousness, so forth, is not, that's a whole other message, but you're not under the law. Read Galatians. Read Romans. You're justified by faith in Jesus. But he's going to give them a new commandment that Christians are to live by, and here it is. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, by the way, when you tell a bunch of men this, men are all bristly. About like the guy that got married to his wife, you know, they came in for marriage counseling 20 years, and the pastor asked the man, said, what, what's wrong? And she said, well, he never tells me that he loves me. And he sits down with the man and says, is it true that you never tell her that you love her? He said, well, I told her when we got married, if I'd changed my mind, I'd let her know. <laughs> so and that kind of guy, you know, he needs some sensitivity help, right? You have to explain and express. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new commandment, and here it is, that you love one another. And when you truly love one another, you do not have to let anybody else know who you belong to. You know why? Listen to what he says. You are to love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. The demonstration of love is an act of worship. And it's also an act of witness. And one of the ways that we love one another is by bearing burdens. Christians have responsibilities, by the way. And your responsibility, believe it or not, as a believer and as a member of a body, are to share the burdens of other believers. And one of the most powerful ministries that God gives us as believers is the ministry of restoration. Getting the weak or getting the broken and helping them strengthen themselves. I'm in Galatians chapter 6 this morning. I put it on the screen or you can turn there either way you choose. But this is what the text reads. Brothers, who's he writing to? Just say believers. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, let me stop here because I need to go back and get some context, don't I? When Paul wrote the book of Galatians, he didn't feel very well. You can read the book on your own. And the first time he went through Galatia, the believers, he said, treated him like an angel from heaven. But when he left, they started believing another gospel. And here was the other gospel, that if you got circumcised and started obeying the Ten Commandments, you were righteous to God. And Paul came in kicking and screaming and said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That is not true. Something that you do in your flesh does not make you right with God. It's only faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And if anybody preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. And then he said, if you think that I've misspoke, let me say it again. Let him be accursed. If you're justified any other way, if you can receive Christ's righteousness any other way than by simple faith in believing what he did for you on the cross and receiving Jesus for eternal life, if there's any other message, let that person be accursed. Because he says it's another gospel. By the way, what is the gospel? That the grace of God appeared to us in the person of Jesus Christ and he gave himself as a ransom for our sin. And he offers us eternal life simply by placing our faith, our trust, our hope in what he did for us alone. And when we do that, he gives to us something we could never earn ourselves. And that's his righteousness. And that is what makes us right with God. The free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ by faith alone. That is the message. Apparently what happened here was some of these people who lived in Galatia had gotten swallowed up in this legalistic message that had been going around that you're, you're really right with God if you do one, two, three, and four. And so Paul knows when he's writing this letter that some of these people that are listening to it and are reading it realize that they have been, they've drank the Kool-Aid. Okay? Just let me say it that way. Slowly but surely, legalism has crept into their life and they have believed that somehow, in some way, oh, the way they behave or something they do is going to make them earn more favor with God than faith alone in Christ alone. And so Paul tells these believers, if anyone is caught, the idea here is a trap. You know, when I was a kid, we used to trap. And you'd set something up and, you know, the animal would come over and put its foot in it or get in a box and, you know, sorry. We did eat them, by the way. And, and they were very good. But nevertheless... And when you go home today and eat your hamburger, just remember something had to die, or your chicken nugget from McDonald's, something had to die. Any kind of meat you eat, something had to give its life, all right? Okay. But it's kind of like Paul's picture in this, you're walking along unsuspectedly, and all of a sudden you step in a trap, and boom, you're hung. And this happens to believers too, by the way. Maybe we get enamored with some preacher, and we think, boy, he's great. And next thing you know... This is creeping in, and that's creeping in, and 
all of a sudden, you know, you really connect with them and you like them, and then they've added to the gospel. They've added to different things that we believe make us more righteous before God than faith alone in Christ alone. And the next thing you know, we're caught. And Paul says, if, if you, if anyone is caught in transgression, any transgression, I believe in this Galatian epistle, this is what Paul was talking about. We can apply this in other ways, okay? We can, we can apply this. Looking at things on your phone you shouldn't doing things that you shouldn't, stealing, cheating, lying, lusting. I mean, you know, we could apply that broadly, but in Paul's circumstance, clearly, it seems he's applying this directly. But if anyone is caught in any transgression, there is a responsibility for the spiritual to go and restore them. Now, by the way, who is a spiritual Christian? Can we answer this quick? True or false, a spiritual Christian is one who knows all kinds of Bible verses by memory. I mean, I hope they would, but okay. A true Christian is one who carries the right translation of Scripture. A true Christian is one who always dresses the part. Is always, you know, always in holy apparel. I've known some of the meanest people alive that wear suits and ties. And dresses too, by the way. Meaner than a snake. So now let's get right down to it. What is it that defines a spiritual or a mature believer? Well, if you turn back just a few verses, Paul actually, thank the Lord for him, gave us what maturity looks like. Chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is, you ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit, singular. In other words... When a person who has believed the gospel and has the Holy Spirit living inside of them is yielding to him, these nine qualities are being produced in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience. And they're all operative at the same time. And you're walking in step with the Spirit and you're producing this in your life. And when you live like that, you can go down a list of 613 commandments and you can't find one to go against you. That's why Paul says right below it, against such things, there is no law. Because when the Spirit is producing that in our life, that is when we are in step with Him, and we are, in a sense, a spiritually mature person. Now, what is the opposite of this list? Well, just go right back up to verse 19. You all want me to read this? The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and Paul said, and things like these. You get the point. Flesh, spirit. And so Paul here steps in and says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and we could include that list too, you who are walking in the spirit, who have love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, and self-control, flowing from you, 
You are to do what? You should restore that person in a spirit of, through the Spirit here, gentleness. Go to them in gentleness. Try to help them. Try to restore them. The word restore is the word, it's a medical term for setting a bone. Now, by the way, I just twisted my ankle several weeks ago. Yes, I still remember that. You know, when, when somebody came to help put a pillow under my foot or whatever, I'm, I'm glad they didn't use a hammer. And, you know, track your foot up, you know, hit, hit it. No, gentleness. When you have a broken bone or you have pain, you have problems, what, what are you needing? You need a soft touch. Now, let me tell you something, though, those of us who have had broken bones, when it goes to get set, it hurts. And I mean it hurts bad. There is some pain in restoration, but the result is healing and strength. But the attitude is gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, talking to the spiritual person here, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what was the law of Christ? I give you a new commandment. You what? Okay. So when we go and we're in the restoration, the restoring business, we are actually obeying what Jesus told us about loving one another. That's why these two are connected. We are concerned about someone's restoration. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something... When he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now, that's an interesting verse. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In other words, there are some burdens you know we do bear, but there's some that we only can do on our own. Notice what he says, for each will have, his, will have to bear his own load. There are some burdens that I can't bear for you. And sometimes God allows some things in our life that we alone have to bear them. That doesn't mean we can't share them, but we have to bear them. I can remember one burden was a dear man who was sick. And I wanted to help him so bad. I'm, I'm serious. I was so convinced that if I could take his sickness for him, I would do it. But you know what? I couldn't do that. I couldn't take his sickness. That was his burden, and he had to bear it. But I, I could be there for him, be with him. So Paul here shares these truths. So three principles, and that is about burden bearing. First of all, some, some burdens need to be shared. They need to be shared. Chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If it's a believer that's trapped in sin, who requires help from a spiritual person, and someone who needs a gentle touch. Do you know anyone this morning who's trapped? Who's caught? Maybe they're hiding. Maybe they don't want anybody else to know what's going on in their life. But you know. And if God has brought that person to your mind, I would encourage you to start praying for them and start talking with them and opening up a way of communication that you can personally go to them 
and try to restore them. No one is wasted in the family of God. And no one is beyond reach. Everyone is reachable. And we have to share some of our burdens. There's a passage in the book of James, by the way. Listen to what James writes. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, believer here, we're talking about a believer, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul, or let me read it this way, deliver his soul from physical death and will cover a multitude of sins. By the way, this is a side note. In the book of James, the word save is used five times. And I always, when I check out a commentary to know where the theologian is, I turn to James 2.14 and I read what they have to say about 2.14. That tells me everything I need to know about their doctrine of salvation. But James's point is not that if you go and restore someone, you keep them out of hell. His point here is that you keep them from physical destruction. You know, the Bible does talk about believers who go on in perpetual sin and they can go so far as to commit a sin unto death. In other words, we can just ignore God for so long that we think, oh, you know what, God doesn't exist. I've been able to sin, 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 and He hasn't done anything to me. And then all of a sudden, boom. They're sick. Something happens. And John, in 1 John, writes that there is such thing as a sin unto death. And he says, I don't say that you should pray for it, but there is something. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talks about believers who can just keep on sinning and sinning and sinning. And he told the Corinthians, some of, some of your church is out there in the graveyard right now as believers because they ignored God. And went on in their Christian life just sinning and Shaking their fist at God. And by the way, for a pastor not to preach that to Christians, he's either doesn't know it, or he's afraid to tell people. But let me tell you something. If we think that God doesn't judge his own people, we are crazy in this life. And as believers, we can't just go and <clears throat> sin all we want and think we're going to get by with it, because we won't. And this is what Paul's talking about. That's what James was talking about. That's what John was talking about. If you see someone like that, go after them and try to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And if you do that and they turn their Christian life around, listen to what James said. When they stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, guess what will happen? You will have saved them from a multitude, a multitude of sins. Perhaps that would have wiped out their whole Christian works. You'll save them. Restore that person. So some burdens should be shed. Some should be shouldered. Notice what he says in 2 through 4. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. 
Notice what Paul says. He says, you can help shoulder the load. Some need to be shouldered. Even though we can't fix them, we can certainly come beside the person and help them. We should get involved. And we should guard our attitude when we help. You know, there's different kinds of people that we run into in life. And we don't always want some people to shoulder the load, do we? You, you know who Nosy Nancy is? She's the one that says, oh, what's going on? Let me just pray for you. And then you tell her what's going on and she can't wait to get on the phone and text somebody. Did you know that such and such? Did you know? Did you know? Probably never even prayed. Just wanting to be in the know. You know, and then you have the, the one who thinks they can always fix it. One of the greatest problems in the Christian life is the one who can always fix it. You know, the greatest discovery that I ever reached in pastoral ministry. I'm telling you, this was a breakthrough. The greatest discovery that I ever reached in the pastoral ministry is when I realized it's not my responsibility, nor is it God's desire for me to fix people's problems or life. I can't. I am not Jesus. I can listen. I can be there. I can pray. But I can't fix any problems. And that was a breakthrough for me. But you know what? We'll help you shoulder your load. We'll help you carry your burden. And you don't, you don't get over things, by the way. You know, people say, well, just, you got, you got to, I got to hurry and get over it. You don't get over things. You get through them. You don't move past something. You move beyond it. And sometimes we need people to help do that. And then finally, some burdens have to be shed. This is kind of what Paul was saying. You know, there's some, some you can listen to, there's some you can help shoulder, and there's others you can't do anything with. And I could go through a whole list in the Old Testament that talk about when somebody, you know, there's some you just can't do anything about. And Paul says each person must bear their own load. So part of discipleship is teaching people how to deal with problems. And then learning how to say no in a loving way so that we don't become enablers, right? And then not enabling or causing codependency is a whole other issue. And that does happen, by the way. We protect so much, we think we can fix, and all we do is make it ten times worse. So in this burden bearing, we have to realize, is it something to shed? Is it something that we shoulder? Or is it something we just share? I mean... That's where wisdom has to come into play. But, this was not my list, by the way, someone else's. It was so good, but here was his point. He said, you know you are a genuine burden bearer when God gives you, you ready for this? This is good. Eyes to see those who need you. Do you have that? I mean, can you stop for a moment in the busyness of life, and just take enough time to look at someone and say, wow, this person's in need. And you know, usually it's the grouchy, tough, mean-looking, aggravating person that is usually the most hurting person. Y'all know this, the statement, hurt people, hurt people. And when someone's always like that, hateful and mean and grouchy, folks, let me, let me give you a little indicator here. Their life is probably a wreck. 
and they're treating you like they are treated or they're taking out on you what they wish they could take out on someone else. Do we have eyes to see that or do we just treat them like the world does and say, if I had a rock, I'd just hit that in the head. You know, or just run that off the road. Eyes to see. A heart, listen to this second one, a heart that breaks for the broken. I, I mean, this is what a spiritual Christian is. You want me to tell you? It's somebody that actually can feel someone else's pain. They actually stop long enough to put themselves in that person's spot and go, ooh, that hurts so bad. And I want to help that person. Ears that are willing to talk. Did I say that? Ears that are willing to hear. Let me tell you another lesson I learned. Boy, I'm sharing all my golden nuggets after 20 plus years. Someone else, after all these years of, of listening and when you're listening to somebody, the moment you catch yourself starting to put together what you're going to say to them, are you listening? You've stopped listening. When they start talking to you and you're going, oh, one, two, three, I've got this fixed. Yeah, hurry and get through so I can give you all my insight. You've, you've stopped. Ears that are willing to hear. Arms that are ready to embrace. Hands that are willing to help carry the crushing load of a fellow believer. <clears throat> I mean, this is, a, <clears throat> this is the picture of a genuine burden bearer. And if you want something to meditate on this week or you don't know how to pray, can I help you? Pull out your cell phone and take a picture of this. I double dare you. I double dare you. Or write it down. And then when you pray, say, Lord Jesus... Thank you so much, Father, for giving me the privilege to pray. I pray this week. I got one for each day, Father. On Monday morning, I'm going to pray that you'll give me eyes to see people who need you. And all day long, when you go through the day on Monday, you're still praying, Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see people that need you. Give me eyes to see. I want to tell you something. You get, you're, are you listening? You want to talk about God answering prayers? He'll answer prayers. And then you'll go, well, that's not the person I was talking about, Lord. I mean, that's not the person. How many times have you prayed something like this and all of a sudden your phone ring and you go, oh, no. Thank God doesn't have a sense of humor. Tuesday, Father, give me a heart that breaks for the broken. Now, you all don't know this. I was preparing to preach this this week. Brian and I were here in the office on Tuesday in staff meeting. One ring, two rings, three rings. People just kept coming. You know, and, of course, we got things to do. We're sitting here going, good night in the morning. Are we ever going? And then, listen, sermon prep. Getting ready to go preach to you all. Have a heart that breaks for the broken. And people are sitting there ringing on our door. And this one particular lady comes. She was in a domestic abuse and a long way away from here, wanders in here with nothing, and the only creature on this side of God's green earth that loves her is a dog. And the only reason people are being nice to her is because of the dog. She's a nuisance. 
People want the dog, they don't want her. I'm not kidding you. And she begins to unload. She says, I am a Christian. Nobody wants me. Nobody wants me. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. You know, do you, all do, you all don't have no clue how many requests we get every week. Every week. Pay my bills. Help me get food. I mean, if we responded to every request that we had, Trinity would be in debt a million and a half dollars by the end of the first quarter. I mean, this is the number of just burdens. But I'm going to tell you something. Even though we can't fix every problem, you can't tell me that your heart doesn't break for people like that. Now, did we do something for her? Yes, we did. I mean, there are just some instances where you go, okay, forget the agenda, forget the... You know what? People, we are here for people. And you have to meet people's needs. Lord, give me a heart that breaks for the broken. Do you have that? You know, James, by the way, talks about true religion... You know, in other words, a spiritual Christian is actually this. When you see someone in need, what do you say? Blessed are you, brother, be warmed and filled, or do you actually meet their need? And then he steps back and says, now tell me what kind of Christianity has any profit. I mean, tell me, he says. Burden-bearing, heart-breaking, ears that listen, arms to embrace, hands that help. So what are some lessons we learned? Three quick. First of all, everybody has burdens. Everybody. We all have burdens of all different kinds in all different shapes and sizes. Everybody has a burden. This is why it's important to connect. Second, sharing your burden is part of the process of healing. Did you know that? Another golden nugget this morning. This is my third and final. It's going to turn into a brick. Did you realize, listen to me carefully, that the burden that you have buried, thinking that you will just keep that between you and yourself and you'll never tell that to anybody else and that's going to go with you. To the... Sometimes that burden can never be healed until it's shared. And the moment that burden is shared, are you listening? The healing process begins. And sharing your burden is part of the process of healing and dealing with the issue. So it's so crucial. And then the third lesson, sharing may not fix the problem. Probably won't. But it opens the door to solutions and wisdom on how to walk through the issue. And there is so much wisdom in a church family so much wisdom that when we're willing to share, there is help. And this is why it's important to be connected. Jesus is the greatest burden bearer ever. And the first person we should share our need with, our burden, is him. And by the way, one of the most tempting things to do in the Christian life is to share our need with someone else before we share it with Jesus. Did you know that? Even, even people in ministry are not exempt with this. Some, sometimes it's really easy for 
for us to go and try to share this issue with some before we even pray and ask Jesus or the Lord to help us, give us wisdom in how to deal with that. But did you know that Jesus in his public ministry on life and on earth made these these statements to people? I, these are some of my favorite passages in the Bible. Listen to what he said. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. In other words, they were living their life trying to earn God's favor. Trying to be righteous before God. Trying, 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 trying. And never measured up. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Trying to carry your own burden. And Jesus, by the way, what did a yoke do on an ox? Imagine a tractor hooked to a plow. You want to pull the plow? You want to pull the trailer behind the car or would you rather hook it to the truck? This is the, this is the analogy. Hook it on my yoke. Let me pull it. And in our life, in our walk, trying to get through problems in life on our own, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me for your spiritual life. You want spiritual life? No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. You want burdens to be bared and shared? Come to Jesus. His yoke is easy and He rests. But we have to do that. We have to do it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I want to give you a moment of invitation today so that you can't say you left here and never had a chance to share your burden with Jesus. As our music team comes up and prepares to sing so we can conclude, I want to give you a moment of silence just to lay your burdens before the Lord today and ask Him to help you and meet your needs. Father, I pray you'll hear our request this morning. Answer and meet all of our needs. And thank you for being the great burden bearer and the only way of salvation you have provided in the person of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for putting us in God's family where we can connect with one another and share and bear burdens. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.